Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am happy to be here. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Let's get this hour started here at the top of the noon hour with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, we're in the month of August here, first week of August. Very important month for us as Catholics. Not that they're all important for us as Catholics, but... We have a lot of important feasts that we celebrate during the month of August. Very important in terms of saints, in terms of um, our, our devotions. You know, and I always like to see how our church ties everything in. We can't ever separate one feast from another. So if I'm going to go back, let's go back to the month of June, which is dedica dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Christ. So we start with the Sacred Heart of Christ in June. We go to July, which naturally it flows if we're going to look at the Sacred Heart of Christ, we look at the blood that our Lord shed for us. And in July, we celebrate the precious blood, or we celebrated the precious blood of our Lord. And then we move into August today, uh, or this being the first week of August. Um, you know, it's an important uh, month because then we move into the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. So it's important to look at these feast days and look at why are they important to us as Catholics? What does this mean to us, especially if we're going to be thinking like Catholics? Remember, if we're going to lead Catholic lives, we have to think like Catholics so that we can live like Catholics so we can be Catholic. A lot of times, you know, we go out and we say, gosh, yeah, of course I'm Catholic, but we don't always stop to think about what that means. And one of the things I would say is, when people ask us, what does it mean to be Catholic, or why do you live your life a certain way? Are we ready to explain to them why? Do we ever, you know, have a favorite quote from scripture that we have at hand and say, well, you know, the Bible says this, and this really means something to me, and this is why I follow our Lord. Or, you know, the Bible teaches me to be humble, even though times are hard. Um, and knowing that, that's why I like to, uh, uh, you know, turn my sufferings into a, a sacrifice instead of wallowing in them. 
Do we have a quick response to that? Are we thinking about how to be Catholics? I think the month of August, for me, that's kind of what it does a little bit. It, it makes me think, well, I'm celebrating the Sacred Heart of Christ in June, his precious blood uh, that, he, that he shed for us in July. And then we get into the month of August, and we get into the month of Our Lady, the, the month of the Immaculate Heart, also the month of the Assumption. But when I think of the Immaculate Heart, I got to ask myself, well, what does that mean? What is the Immaculate Heart? How does that tie into the Sacred Heart of our Lord? And we're going to look at that a little bit today. Interestingly enough, though, I like to look at different saints, different things that go on in the month to see how it all ties in together. So we're going to look at first, one of the things that people might not know is August 1st is a feast of St. Alphonse Liguori. Now, St. Alphonse Liguori, a doctor of the church, very important. I didn't want to focus so much on his life because what I wanted to look at was what does St. Alphonsus think of Our Lady? That's the first thing we're going to look at today. Then we're going to look uh, more specifically at the Immaculate Heart. What goes into the Immaculate Heart? Why is it depicted the way it is? And then what does that mean for us as Catholics from a mental health perspective, from a physical health perspective, and more importantly, from a spiritual health perspective? So let's look at this. I found this interesting article um, it's called St. Alphonse Liguori on Mary. I thought it was very fitting. Uh, <clears throat> and this is what it says. You know, St. Alphonse Liguori, he's well-known, respected figure, an influential Catholic bishop. Uh, his teachings have been available for over 250 years. Very true. He was declared venerable in 1796, beatified in 1816, and canonized in 1839. Then he was declared a doctor of the church in 1871, by Pope Pius IX. So St. Alphonse Gori, big, big saint of the church, one of the few doctors of the church. And uh, in fact, the article goes on to say, as of 1997, there have only been 33 doctors of the church with Alphonse being of this elite number. So in other words, yes, he is in good company there. Only 33 doctors of the church have been declared and he is, he is there. Um, it goes on to specify that to be a doctor means that his teachings though not considered ex cathedra, so not coming from the Pope necessarily or from the Vatican, were carefully examined and approved by the Pope, the supreme teacher of the Roman Catholic Church. Hence, his teachings are believed by his Catholic readership, especially since they carry the endorsements of the Nihil Obstat and Imprimatur. He has also been considered an apostle of Mary, since he has done much to exalt her as you will soon read. I thought this was a great article because, you know, the month of August starts off with the Feast of St. Alphonse Liguori, and it, and it tells me a lot about what does he have to say about Our Lady? You know, he a lot of people can say, well, he's a saint. In many ways we can think, yeah, but he was also a human being just like you or I. And maybe he prayed uh, for a little bit more knowledge. Maybe he was gifted a few more graces. But I can learn a lot from my fellow Catholics, especially the saints, obviously, about the mysteries of heaven, the mysteries of Our Lady, the mysteries of our Lord. So let's look at this. This article is actually very nice. It goes on to say the following quotes from Alphonse are from the book entitled The Blessed Virgin Mary, which was taken from his much larger book, The Glories of Mary. Uh, I have not read these books yet, but now I'm very curious about them. Um, and it says it was first written in 1750 on the back cover of the 2000 edition of The Glories of Mary. This is what it says. The Glories of Mary, widely regarded as St. Alphonse's Liguori's finest masterpiece has for two and a half centuries stood as one of the Catholic Church's greatest expressions of devotion to the Blessed Virgin. I like that the month of August starts with a saint because it really sets into my mind 
okay, I'm going to get some good teaching on Our Lady here, some good instruction on Our Lady, because that also gets very much confused. If anybody has Protestant saints or, or friends who are, I'm sorry, Protestant saints, I'm sure that there are Protestant saints, but, um, you know, friends who are Protestant or people who do not follow the Catholic faith, they don't understand our devotion to Our Lady. They don't understand why would we would have such a strong devotion. And they start to think that we worship her, that we see her as a deity. And that's not the case. I love, I love articles like this, and I love reading about saints who had a devotion to Our Lady because it really puts things into perspective as to why do we venerate Our Lady? Is she really important or not? Um, but who obviously don't say that she's God. But let's look a little bit more at what this is. Um, written as a defense of Our Lady at the time when Jan, uh, Janistic writers, so the Jansians, uh, were ridiculing Marian devotion. This classic work combines numerous citations from the fathers and doctors of the church with St. Alphonsus' intense personal piety to produce a timeless treasury of teachings, prayers, and practices. You know, it's interesting. When we have to do this, a lot of times we, we might even shy away from talking about Our Lady. Some people might be embarrassed or might not understand the full extent of uh, how Our Lady participated in our salvation. Um, but this is important to understand. Great to hear it from a saint. You know, you can hear it from a lot of people talking. You could hear it from me talking. And I could tell you, gosh, the rosary is great. We got to pray the rosary. Um, you know, our devotion to Our Lady, the month of August, I think is great. But from somebody who's actually been canonized a saint, I think it's going to carry obviously more weight, especially a doctor of the church. So let's look at this. So this is a detailed explanation of the Salve Regina. Among the, the many roles and titles given to uh, to Mary by by the Catholic Church, Alphonsus elaborates on how Mary is our life, our sweetness, and our hope, as prayed in hundreds of millions of churches when reading the rosary, and uh, when reciting the rosary in the Salve Regina. Alphonsus cites different sources from the Pope himself down to exalted Catholic saints to doctors in Catholicism for the following concepts about Mary. These same views have been believed by millions of precious souls over the centuries. Please know that the Vatican Council too has not renounced any of these teachings about Mary's importance. The glory's teachings regarding Mary continue to be printed and spread throughout the world at the present time. Okay, so we're going to get into the teachings right now, but I think that those are some beautiful titles. Let's look at this. Our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, or, or, or banished children of Eve. Isn't that what we say in the Salve Regina? Our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Well, I like this article because it breaks it down according to St. Alphonse Gori. Let's talk about how Mary is our life. It says, there are two primary reasons why Mary is our life, according to, to St. Alphonse Gori. Mary is our life because, one, she obtains for us pardon of our sins, right? And two, Mary is also our life because she obtains for us perseverance. These are important things here, pardon of our sins and perseverance. Now, it doesn't say that she pardons our sins. We cannot say that she's God. Only Christ can pardon our sins. Only God can pardon our sins. But she obtains for us that pardon. It doesn't mean that she's pardoning us. And she also obtains for us perseverance, right? So we're looking at a couple of things. She helps us to get our sins pardoned, and she helps us to stay focused on our faith. And this is what it says. These are the reasonings um, as present for support of this. To understand why the Holy Church makes us call Mary our life, we must know that as the soul gives life to the body, so does divine grace give life to the soul. For the soul without grace has the name of being alive, but in truth, dead. As it was said as one as one of in the apocalypse, thou has the name of being alive and thou art dead. Mary then in obtaining this grace for sinners, 
by her intercession does restores them to life. Let's not forget, Our Lady, she is the one who's been given the charge by our Lord to divulge all graces. We're going to talk a lot more about this when we come back from the break. Because without graces, the soul is just not alive. More when we come back from the break. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show, and I am your host, Dr. Louis Sandoval. As always, happy to be here with you. Today, we are talking about why the month of August is very, very important in our faith, and a very important month because we celebrate Our Lady. We celebrate the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. Also in there, we celebrate the Assumption of Our Lady on the 15th. I like that the month starts off with uh, August 1st being first being the feast day of St. Alphonse Liguori, because he wrote about Our Lady. He wrote a lot about Our Lady, about why we should have a devotion to Our Lady, and explaining also why she is so important in our faith. You know, a lot of people get confusion about that. A lot of people think that we worship Our Lady. A lot of people say, well, you pray to Mary. And I say, yes, absolutely, we do. We've got to remember that praying to Our Lady just means that we're asking for her help. No different than uh, I pray to my friends that they pray for me, that they ask for help for me. I ask them. Uh, you know, a lot of times if anybody's ever read any Shakespeare or anything along those lines, you'll see lines that say, you know, pray thee that you do this or pray this or pray that. And it really means, you know, I pray thee to please take me out of here. It means to ask. We ask. We ask a lot. We ask a lot as Catholics and rightfully so because we know that through the crucifixion of our Lord, through the sacrifice of our Lord and his resurrection, we have an inheritance. And really what we're asking for is access, a little bit of access to our inheritance. We're asking for a little bit of help on our road. Um, before the break, we were talking about how through the prayer of the Salve Regina, St. Alphonse used to elaborate on how Our Lady is, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Nice little article here. I'm going to put the link to it, of course. Um, and in question about how is Our Lady our life? This is where we're thinking like Catholics. This should bring us peace. This should bring us uh, joy. This should bring us peace of mind, a decrease in anxiety, a decrease in depression. When we start thinking that, you know what? It's not all about me and I don't have to do this alone. I can pray to Our Lady. She brings, she is our life because she is the fount of graces, right? So all the graces that God wants to give us, we know go through Our Lady, Our Lady of Grace. We see the images of the graces coming out of her hands. She lets our Lord know who to distribute the graces to. Um, and without the graces, as St. Alphonse tells us, the, the soul is dead. We might say, yeah, my soul exists. But the real question is, is it alive or is it dead? Uh, it's an important concept to consider. It should not be scary. It can be because if I think, gosh, I've sinned a lot. I haven't really repented for my sins. I better start changing my life around. Where do I even get started? Maybe we can turn to Our Lady. She's the gateway to graces and we can open our soul to those graces. Now, the article also says that <clears throat> through Mary, we can hope for remission of our sins. Now, Keep in mind, Our Lady is not the one who forgives our sins. Our, our Lord does. But let's see what the article says about that. It says, with reason, uh, they call Our Lady the hope of malefactors, since she, is, since she alone is the one who obtains them pardon from God. With reason, to St. Bernard, so he quotes other saints, St. Bernard calls her the sinner's ladder, calls Our Lady the sinner's ladder, since she, the most compassionate queen, extending her hand to them, draws them from the abyss of sin and enables them to ascend to God. With reason does an ancient writer call her the only hope of sinners, for by her alone can we hope for remission of our sins. It doesn't mean that by her our sins are 
are forgiven, it means that she has an extraordinary power to be able to ask God to forgive our sins. In fact, I remember a story one time. There was a priest who, who shared a story and who said that for a moment, he, after a car accident, he found himself dead. He found himself before the throne of God. And little did he know that, you know, he, they were working on him in the emergency department. Uh, he said that he had, it was really by a car accident. He had fractures in his neck that the doctors told him he should have been dead. Uh, but, you know, they're working on him. They later told, later told him he was dead for a little while. While they were working on him, they revived him. But he said that while he was in this coma, while he was in this moment of death, while he was not conscious, he found himself before the throne of God and that our Lord was speaking to him and saying, you deserve the fires of hell. And all he could say was, yes, this is true. This is true because I have, I'm have i not worthy of heaven. All I can do is go to hell. And in that moment, he said, you can't argue with truth. Once you're faced with truth, you cannot argue with this. And he said that he knew that that was what he deserved. At the same time, he heard the voice of a lady who he says was Our Lady, who turned to our Lord and she said, what if we give him special graces? What if we help him out? What if we do something for him? Maybe now he will live for you and not just for himself. And our Lord said, as you wish, mother. This is how she obtains forgiveness for our sins. This is how she obtains graces for us and gives us new life, if you will. Our Lord saved our life, allows us to live with him in heaven, but we find ourselves in in death a lot of times because you know through our human frailty we turn it down we think we find things here on earth that we think is better or that we think are better and next thing you know we kind of turn a shoulder to our lord but our lady's there with her immaculate heart full of compassion for us to ask her son to please reconsider these are this is where we're going to be lifted where we're going to be uh found uh before our lord because the next part of this article uh i like this next little paragraph here if Mary condemns you, you will be lost. It says when a soul loses devotion to Mary, it immediately, it is immediately enveloped in darkness. And in that darkness of which the Holy Ghost speaks in the Psalms, thou has appointed darkness and it is night. In it shall all the beasts of the woods go about. When the light of heaven ceases to shine in the soul, all is darkness and it becomes the haunt of devils of every sin. This is according to St. Anselm. Uh, he says that if anyone is disregarded and condemned by Mary, he is necessarily lost. And therefore, we may with reason exclaim, woe to those who are in opposition to this sun. Woe to those who despise its light. That is to say, all who despise devotion to Mary. Why would he say that? Why would St. Anselm say that? say that? Because ultimately, if you're going to turn down our Lord's mother, well, why is he going to want to have anything to do with you? Think about a family member. Think about somebody telling you that they don't like your family members or they don't care for your family members. That's going to be one way. But we can't forget who Our Lady is. Remember, Our Lady has been entrusted with all the graces that are going to be dispersed to us. And if we turn down all the graces, how can we possibly come closer to God? This is important to consider. Um this is another quote from another saint. So St. Alphonse, remember, he took a, a lot of, he did a little bit of research so he could put all this together. And it says, it was then, not without reason, that St. Saint Ger, Saint Germanus called the most blessed virgin the breath of Christians. For as the body cannot live without breathing, so the soul cannot live without having recourse to and recommending itself to Mary, by whose means we certainly acquire and persevere the life of divine grace within our souls. So this is important to consider. You know, Our Lady, she 
helps us to give us life because she is the gateway to the graces of our Lord, our Lord being the door, our Lord Jesus Christ being the doorway to heaven. And so through her, our soul ends up with the life of grace as we reach her son. We always have that saying in our Catholic faith to Jesus through Mary. Now, the next part of this article talks about our sweetness. Remember, Mary is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. How can we say that Our Lady is our sweetness? It says here, St. Alphonsus quotes, Mary, our sweetness, she renders death sweet to her clients. I like that as a physician to think about that. She renders death sweet to her clients. What does he say there? It says, in their afflictions, and more particularly in the sorrow of death, the greatness that can be endured in this world, this good lady and mother not only does not abandon her faithful servants, but as during our, our exile, she is our life, she also... Uh, at our last hour is our sweetness by obtaining for us a calm and happy death. From It says, for from the day on which Mary had the privilege of, and sorrow of being present at the death of her son, who was the head of all predestined, it became her privilege to assist also at their deaths. And for this reason, the Holy Church teaches us to beg this most blessed virgin to assist us, especially at the moment of death. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death death. We have that in our prayer, the Hail Mary, right? We ask Our Lady to pray for us at the hour of death as we ask her to pray for us now. Why? We have to ask ourselves, why would we ask her to pray for us at the hour of death? Because again, she's going to be with us through the trails of life. She's going to be there with us, giving us our graces. And, you know, the, and at the last moment, if we have nothing else, we always say, you pray, Hail Mary. If anybody watches football and likes football games, what do they say when there's nothing left? They have to throw one, one, uh, a last play, they're down, there's no time left on the clock. The team could possibly win by one one play. What do they say? They say they're going to throw a Hail Mary. Even in football, they use that term. Little do they, I don't know, they officially associate it with Our Lady. But this is, you know, the football league, across all religions, across everything, they're going to throw a Hail Mary. Why a Hail Mary? Because when you've got nothing left, when there's no time on the clock, when it seems like you're going to lose, you throw your last play out there and you throw it, beseeching Our Lady. There's no question about that. It makes our death a little bit sweeter. How sweet is that win, too, if you ever see a football game like that? Somebody actually does a play like that. There's nothing left, and they end up winning. That's the sweetest thing in the world. It, it doesn't get better than that. You think it, it was all over, and the whole stadium goes nuts because that wasn't supposed to happen, and yet somehow they equate that to a miracle, right? So the same in the same way, if we think of Our Lady as our sweetness, she brings us the sweetness of a holy death, if you will. So this is something to be considered. It also says, Mary, the all-sufficient protector. Why? Let's see what St. Alphonsus has to say. He says, and how quickly do the rebellious spirits fly from the presence of this queen? If at the hour of death we have only the protection of Mary, what need we fear from all of our infernal enemies? David, fearing the horrors of death, encouraged himself by placing his reliance on the death of the coming Redeemer and on the intercession of the Virgin Mother. So. This is something that we need to consider. Um, this is something that we uh, want to ask ourselves. Now, this is, goes on to say, nowhere in the, this is what I was asking when I read this, nowhere in the entire Bible does it say that David encouraged himself as stated above. Moreover, nowhere in scripture is there even a single scripture which ex exhales Mary's intercession above any other righteous person prayers, whether she was ultimately a protector to have a death. So it says, St. Alphonse continues to talk about that. I'll let you read the article on that one. That was a little bit different. But here's what I would say. If at the hour of death we seek the protection of Our Lady, 
what better? There was, if anybody follows the apparitions of Our Lady, there was the apparition of uh, St. Bernadette Subaru, who was at Lourdes. And there, if you read that, if you read about those apparitions, there was one time where Our Lady was talking to St. Bernadette. And it said that as she was talking, there were some demons who appeared in the background. And what did Our Lady do? She turned and she just looked at them. She just gave a look and those demons fled. This is really the question about the hour of death. What's important at the hour of death? Well, it's our last moment to make up for our sins. It's our last moment to uh, tell God we are sorry. And it's our last moment before we're faced with that judgment uh, for us to make it to heaven. And this is very important. Uh, we're going to make it to heaven, hopefully. What can we do if Our Lady has the power to show up and she turns and she looks at these demons and they run away? Then our path to heaven is going to be without more temptation, without more fear, without being brought down by demons at the last moment. I can tell you this experience just from working in deliverance. You know, whenever you're praying over somebody who is experiencing either diabolic oppression, diabolic possession, uh, you name it. And if you're in the middle of a deliverance session, you're praying, you ask for the help of Our Lady. And if the the energumen or the, pe the person who is uh, suffering from these ailments, sometimes they'll say, oh, I saw this lady show up or something. It's over. There's no question there. The, the, you know, there's no more prayers to do. The demons will be gone once Our Lady shows up at that hour, especially if somebody's being tortured or bothered by these infernal enemies. Well, by golly, it's over. Our Lady's presence there with the level of grace that she has, with the level of love that she has through her immaculate heart, makes everything just go away, any darkness go away, and make the room only full of grace and full of our Lord. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about Our Lady, why the Feast of the Immaculate Heart, um, actually the month of August is, is devoted to the Immaculate Heart, and we have the Feast of the Assumption on August 15th, the month of August, big month where we recognize Our Lady. So we're looking through an article on St. Alphonse Liguori. This is an important article. Um, because it tells us a little bit about a saint who truly had a devotion to Our Lady and who really uh, sought to see Our Lady as our sweetness, our life, our sweetness, and our hope as we pray in the Salve Regina. Let's look lastly at how Our Lady is our hope from this article. And after this, we're going to talk a little bit about the Immaculate Heart, why it's depicted as it is, and what's the significance of it um, in terms of for us as Catholics and why we have a devotion to the Immaculate Heart. So Mary is our hope, it says, um, but to those who hope in Mary as mother of God, who is able to obtain graces and eternal life for them, are truly blessed and acceptable to the heart of God, whose desire is to see the greatest of his creatures honored. For she loved and honored him in this world more than all men and angels put together. And therefore, we justly and reason reasonably called the Blessed Virgin our hope, trusting, as Cardinal Bellarmi said, that we shall obtain through her intercession that which we should not obtain by our own unaided prayers. The reality is sometimes when we're praying, we're not even sure what to pray for. We think we know what we want to pray for, but a lot of times we are going to pray for things that we want. And we like to tell God what his will for us is a lot of the time. So when we pray, are we always humble enough in our minds to put God first and to say, God, whatever your will is. Our Lady was. Our Lady was the ultimate picture of humility. Our Lady was the ultimate picture of being able to say, Lord, my life is yours. You know, at the young age of about 15, she says, I'll go ahead and have, I trust you. I will have your son, um, which means that her life was going to be turned around significantly. She didn't know how. And we know that Our Lady never complained, 
never said anything. And, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that we we need to uh, look at and we need to use as an example in our own lives because this is how she is our hope. I can hope that if I am as humble as Our Lady, I can ask her for humility. I can ask her uh, to please help me understand humility the way she did. Then on my way to heaven, everything will be uh, much more much more simpler. I'll be able to understand things. I'll never lose that hope in God, even when it seems like things aren't working well, I might choose to not even understand them, understand why things might not be going well, but I'm going to put my hope in God and say, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. You know, that always reminds me, I've had patients over the years who uh, come and tell me, I don't know why I'm suffering from depression. I don't know why I don't see things clearly. I don't know why, um, you know, I, I'm going through these things. I'm taking the medication the way you give me and the way you prescribe it and other doctors have prescribed. And sometimes it's working, you know, sometimes it makes me feel a little bit better, but I would think that I would have been cured by now or I'd be 100% by now and I'm not. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, the most important thing in this case is to not lose hope. You know, not lose hope even in the midst of darkness. So what is it that we tell people when they are going through deliverance, when they are feeling like they're being oppressed, when they feel like they're being attacked by dark forces? Well, what we tell them is, can't lose hope. Got to keep your focus on Christ. And what's one of the things that we tell them to do all the time? What do we do during deliverance prayers? We pray the rosary. We ask Our Lady for her intercession. Now, a lot of friends are going to tell you, well, why are you praying the rosary? Why are you worshiping Our Lady? You're making her God. No, not at all. Through Our Lady, we're hoping to learn humility. We're hoping to learn total surrender to our Lord. And as we're praying the rosary, what are we focusing on? The life of Christ. When did the life of Christ start here on earth? At the Annunciation. That's our first mystery. When did the life of Christ end on earth? Well, a lot of people will say, well, you know, obviously what, during the Ascension, right? And then after that, what happens? We celebrate or we, we pray the mysteries of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Assumption, and the Coronation of Our Lady. But isn't that part of the, 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 the conclusion of the life of Christ here? Who gave Our Lady her crown in heaven? It was our Lord. Who else could crown Our Lady in heaven? Nobody else has that power. So it was the mission of the Lord. It was salvation history. And that's really what's contained in the mysteries of the rosary. It's our focus on Christ as we're praying to Mary to please give us graces. That's where our greatest hope lies. Now, let's look at the image of the Immaculate Heart. I wish I had a picture to put up for you. But what do we see in the Immaculate Heart? So we see the heart of Our Lady, and sometimes we see it surrounded with flower. We see it surrounded with flowers, red and white usually. Now, those red and white flowers, what, do that, what does that remind me of? The mercy of our Lord, divine mercy. What do we see coming out of the heart of Christ? We see the white rays and the red rays of divine mercy, right? Our Lord, the, the water and the blood that was shed by our Lord uh, from his heart during the crucifixion. Our Lady has these roses around her heart. She also has a flame of love on top. And more importantly, she will have swords that were pierced there. Now, why does she have these swords? Because Our Lady is well known in her Immaculate Heart to have the seven sorrows. It also reminds us of the seven sorrows. Now, a lot of people will say, <clears throat> um, or, or we also see the image of Our Lady, uh, of, our, of the, the uh, Our Lady of Seven Sorrows with the Immaculate Heart, with the seven swords piercing it. And if anybody doesn't know what these seven 
sorrows are. Let's go through them a little bit very quickly. This is important to consider because as we're thinking about the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady, it's very easy to think, well, Our Lady, you know, she's got all these graces for us. She's so pious. She must have been, um, you know, we can think of her since we think of her as a queen of heaven. We can say, well, she was a lady of the court. You know, she was the queen. She was always sitting in her throne. Well, as the queen of heaven, she showed us that life here on earth was pretty rough. There was not a time where she stopped to rest. She was always working towards the uh, mission of her son. She was listening to St. Joseph at the beginning, obviously when uh, when they had our Lord and they needed to travel, they needed to flee, they needed to move, they needed to do all these different things. I'm sure that that wasn't easy. Um, but ever since the beginning, there was seven sorrows that were gonna pierce her heart. It was going to be a challenge for her. She was not a, a gentle queen or a delicate queen in that sense, but really a fierce, fierce warrior who is there to defend us as well. This is what we need to think about when the, we think about the Immaculate Heart. I don't think of it as a dainty heart. I think of it as the heart of a general, the heart of somebody who's seen the battlefield, the heart of somebody who is at the forefront. And if she's my general and she's going to defend me, what, but what do I have to fear? What better defense do I have? She has the fullness of our Lord behind her. Remember, she is full of grace. So with that in mind, how can I not be well protected? Uh, the devotion to the Immaculate Heart cannot go without the, the devotion to the seven sorrows of Our Lady. So let's look a little bit at what the seven sorrows are and where they are in the Gospels. Um, so the first one is the prophecy of St. Simeon. We've got to remember that at the presentation of our Lord, which is actually the fourth uh, mystery of the joyful mysteries of the rosary, um, St. Simeon told her that a sword was going to pierce her heart because our Lord was the prophesied king who was going to suffer much to lead us out of the darkness of sin. And if you want to find that in scripture, that is in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 34 through 35. The next uh, piercing sword is the flight into Egypt. So again, what happens at this point? We just have this young child, and people will say Jesus might have been about two years old or so when they needed to do this. But what do they find out? That King Herod is a little bit jealous, a little bit jealous that there is a king who is supposed to rule over the land, uh, obviously not the earthly land, but he didn't know that. He talks to the three wise men, and all of a sudden, St. Joseph gets a message from heaven in his sleep to move to Egypt, to flee to Egypt because our Lord is in danger. You can find that in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 21. Um, I will repeat these at the end, but let's go through them first. So then the next one is the loss of Jesus for three days, right? So we see the loss of Jesus for three days. They're in... Uh, <clears throat> they're celebrating the feasts in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, there is the loss of our Lord for three days. What happens there? Our Lady can't find him. They don't know where our Lord is, and uh, we find that in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2, verses 41 through 50. The next one we see uh, is Our Lady meeting Jesus on the way to the cross. We can find that one in John chapter 19, verse 17. So this one's important. I mean, this is the moment. This is where I wonder what Our Lady had to say to our Lord, what our Lord had to say to our Lady at that moment, or if they just understood and knew. 
if maybe they didn't have to say any words, if they knew this is this is what we've been fighting for, you know, and our Lord, I'm sure that was painful for him because why would he want to see this sword uh, pierce the heart of Our Lady? He loved Our Lady so much. I highly doubt that it was easy for him to see his mother suffering. I don't know any son who who can stand his mother suffering, but it was also hard uh, for her because she knew that heaven was not going to be won simply. Um, but she was going to fight through this. She was going to be the general fighting through this. There's no question about that. So our Lord carrying the cross, meeting on the way of the cross, this is station number four of the stations of the cross. Again, that's John chapter 19, verse 17. The next one is the crucifixion of our Lord. And so we see the crucifixion of our Lord. Who was left there at the foot of the cross? Well, it was Mary, the other Mary, Mary Magdalene. And who else? St. John. Uh, the apostle, but at that moment, you see your son die. All of a sudden, this is where, as we were saying before, how dark must that moment have been? Our lady knew that this is the son of God. She knew that this was for our salvation. He was abandoned by his friends, and now darkness falls over the land. There is the crucifixion of our Lord, the death of her son, and yet... In the midst of this darkness, she had to have hope. The apostles sure didn't seem to have hope. Everybody fled. St. John stood by Our Lady. I don't know what he was thinking, but he loved Our Lord, and he proved that by standing there. He was the one that Our Lord told him, behold your mother. Um, that's important to, to consider and to, and to know. Uh, but this is the moment of the crucifixion, and Our Lady is there, her heart pierced again. Darkness falls over the land. Is anybody going to be taking hope in this? Does anybody really think about this? Does anybody at this point feel like there's anything to be done? Remember, the apostles are all fled and they were hiding and they didn't know what to think of it. Even though they had been with our Lord, even though, even though they had been with him and heard the story and he told them what needed to happen and he would tell them that he was going to rise on the third day, but they didn't always understand it. Well, Two more of these sorrows to go through when we come back from the break. We'll go through these uh, scripture readings again. I'll, I'll mention where they are in scripture again, because it's important to consider when people tell you, gosh, none of this is scriptural. Our Lady wasn't there with, with our Lord. Why do you think Our Lady is so important? Our Lady's there in scripture. It's coming straight from the Bible. And we're going to look at two more of the sorrows when we come back from the All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about why the month of August is important um, as we celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Heart. We can never celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Heart without thinking of the Immaculate Heart and the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Um, it's important to consider, you know, the way the, the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady is depicted. Usually there is a sword piercing it. You'll see different images. Sometimes there's one sword, sometimes there's all seven. Uh, classically, if you look at Our Lady of Sorrows, obviously there's going to be seven swords piercing that heart. But in this case, we'll see one sword or seven swords on the Immaculate Heart, depending on how it's depicted. The most classically one I've seen is the one sword. But that one sword really represents the sorrows that Our Lady experienced. And we're going through those sorrows uh, one by one, just to understand what they are. Um, and then we're going to talk about what what it means to have devotion to the Sacred Heart, or excuse me, the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady through her sorrows. So there's the crucifixion of Jesus, is the last sorrow that we talked about before the break. Again, that's in John chapter 19, verse 18 through 30. 
The next one is Jesus is taken down from the cross. Now at this point, this is that you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what they did, what they would do was uh, to the other people who were crucified, uh, they would break their legs and they would break their legs to make sure that they were dead and drain all the blood to our Lord. They pierced his side, pierced his heart further. That's the union right there. That's really all the graces coming out of our Lord's heart. Uh, and the union, I, I can only imagine the union of pain at that moment between the sacred heart and the immaculate heart, that moment of death. Um, you know, after Jesus crucified, and now Jesus is taken down from the cross. That's the next sword. Jesus taken down from the cross, his lifeless body in her arms. We see that classically depicted in Michelangelo's Pieta. If anybody's ever been to the Vatican, it's a beautiful, beautiful statue. There's lots of representations from it that you can find, but it's a beautiful statue of Our Lady uh, holding our Lord in her lap. Now his lifeless body, uh, limp and uh, laying there. Um, another big sword, another sword of pain that that pierced our lady's heart and lastly we see jesus laid in the tomb the final sword the final straw they close the stone his lifeless body now in the tomb and now this is where our lady had to continue to have hope in life anybody who sees this sees a picture of death this is what we see all the time when we go to funerals we see a casket you know sometimes we even have in a, in a way, people might even have a little bit of hope in their heart if there's an, a, a vigil, you know, a prayer uh, a session uh, beforehand with an open casket and they see the body for the last time and there might be a sense of connection. It's interesting if anybody's ever been to an open casket prayer uh, session, a vigil the night before the funeral, and they see somebody's body laying there uh, no longer with the soul uh, intact. Uh, the soul now has separated from the body, and it's interesting to see the body. It's it's mystical. It's it's uh, metaphysical. It's an interesting uh, uh, position to be in, an interesting sight to see if anybody's ever seen that from a family member or somebody. But yet there's a recognition of the person, and all of a sudden they close the casket, they bury the casket into the ground, and now it's over. It's it's done. The funeral has ended, and the person is now officially, shall we say, dead, as we say here on earth. Well, Jesus got laid in the tomb. Somebody had to roll that stone and close it. And we can only imagine a very, very dark uh, tomb, a very dark tomb, tomb in a rock, as we see, you know, carved out there, uh, as we see in the stories. And it looks like a place of darkness. It does not look like a place of light. The last sword to pierce Our Lady's heart. In the meantime, her immaculate heart, free from sin, had to have been under so much pain, it's undescribable. It says that her pain was greater than the pain of all the martyrs. So at this point, we've got these seven sorrows, and yet her immaculate heart at some point had to have some hope in our Lord, some hope in that God's word was going to be fulfilled and that this was not going to be the end of the story. Uh, she had to have had that hope and she had to have hold on to that. And that's how strong her heart is. So again, let's look at those seven sorrows. The prophecy of St. Simeon, uh, which again was a sorrow number one, and that's in Luke chapter two, verses 34 through 35. We look at the flight into Egypt. That's the second second sorrow. And that's Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 21. We look at the third sorrow, the loss of Jesus for three days. And that's Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 50. We look at the next one, chapter number four, the carrying, Jesus carrying the cross. And when I always think of the fourth uh, station of the cross, which is Our Lady meets Jesus on the way of the cross. And that is the book of John, chapter 19 through uh, verse 17. Then we have the crucifixion of our Lord, 
and that is the book of John as well, chapter 19 through eight, eight, uh, verses 18 through 30. Then we have number six, Jesus is taken down from the cross. It's the book of John again, chapter 19, 39 through 40. And then in there, if you look at Jesus laid in the tomb, that's again, John chapter 19, verse 40 through 42. It's a continuation there of the last one. So those are places you can find this in the Bible. A lot of times, you know, people want to know, well, Gosh, you know, you Catholics make too much of Our Lady. Um, you you almost worship her. What's going on? You know, what's the going on with this co-redemptrix title? Uh, people don't might not understand that. It's not that Our Lady would have uh, saved us because only Our Lord can do that. Of course, only God can save us. Mary is not God, but does she participate in our salvation? If you ask Jesus, I'm sure she did. She participated by being there for Christ, by supporting Christ. And in her humility by saying yes to God. That's the first moment she participated in our salvation history. And she was the only one who could do that out of all the humans because she was conceived without sin. Nobody else was conceived without sin. Even the greatest of saints will never compare to Our Lady because she was conceived without sin. She was the only one who could participate in our salvation with our Lord by saying yes to God to begin with. Um, and so that's something to consider. Now, if anybody thinks about, you know, devotion to the to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady, of course, there's always the consecration that we can make uh, to Our Lady. If anybody, uh, maybe we should do a show on that this month. What does it mean to consecrate to ourselves, to Our Lady? We can um, think of great saints who uh, follow Our Lady, like St. Louis de Montfort, uh, who had a very, very special devotion to Our Lady and talks about consecration to Our Lady. So we can do a show on that. But for now, I always like to think of devotion to the seven sorrows of Our Lady, what that means, um, because a lot of times it's easy to think of Our Lady as somebody who's very delicate, somebody who uh, needs protection, uh, you know, a very gentle mother. And to us, she's a gentle mother, but we cannot forget that at the moment of death, at the moment of giving us graces, at the moment of helping us fight against any evil entities, uh, at the moment of helping us to get to heaven, I'm sure that she is there at the forefront, um, just full of energy, uh, voraciously wanting us to get into heaven, ready to do anything to make sure that we get there. And I'm sure in not a very gentle way. Um, Let's look at the promises. So with the devotion to the seven sorrows of Our Lady, there are actually promises associated with this. These are important to consider because a lot of times, you know, we think, well, why am I going to do this? Why am I going to devote myself or think of the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady? Why am I going to think of her Immaculate Heart and her sorrows? What's the point of all this? Um, well, you know, do, what can we trust that Our Lady will do? I trust anything that Our Lady uh, will do for us the same way that I trust anything that our Lord would do to us. You know, we forget that we are part of a family. We're part of a heavenly family, and Our Lady is our spiritual mother in heaven. So that being the case, let's look at what her promises are for us. The first thing is, she says, I will grant peace to their families. How many families do I see, uh, you know, when they come to me for counseling, couples, people come for couples counseling, therapy, things along those lines, and I assure you, there is not a whole lot of peace going on. One of the biggest challenges for couples and families is, is there even a sense of friendship in these families? Is there a sense that we're going to support each other in these families? Is, is there a sense that we're going to love each other in these families? And sometimes they don't even start from that place. So that can be a very, very big deal for some people. You know, if I do a little bit of prayer, if I focus or meditate on the seven sorrows of Our Lady, Our Lady says, number one, that she will grant peace to the families. Number two, so of course, there's seven promises associated with this, so one for each of the sorrows. 
Number two is they will be enlightened about the divine mysteries. So what does this mean? A lot of people are always seeking out uh, clairvoyance or they're seeking out more uh, knowledge or seeking out knowledge beyond our means. When we pray, we got to remember that prayer is a cooperation. We're praying with God and God is talking to us as well. So prayer is just being God's friend. When we're friends, we do things for each other. We're there for each other. And part of focusing on the seven sorrows of Our Lady, which of course lead us to Christ, it says that we will be enlightened about divine mysteries. It means that we will have a deeper understanding of God. It doesn't mean I'm going to be smarter than my fellow man. It means that I'm going to be given more information, which I will be more responsible for, but hopefully more information that I can delight in on my way to heaven and understanding, a closer understanding of heaven. Let's see. Promise number three is I will console them in their pains and I will accompany them in their work. What better than to have Our Lady and her Immaculate Heart with us, uh, especially when we go through our sorrows? How many times are we going through this life? We're going to work. We're going about our every day. And uh, we go through a lot of different sorrows. We, we don't feel good and we feel alone sometimes. What better than to know that Our Lady will accompany us uh, because we're thinking of her sorrows. We're going to understand each other in that way. Promise number four. I will give them as much as they ask for as long as it does not as as long as it does not oppose the adorable will of my divine son or the sanctification of their souls. Now this is a great promise because again it shows that our lady is not making herself a deity. Our lady is not making herself equal to God. Um, and that we are not doing this because we think she is a God. We're doing this because we know that she is the mother of our Lord and that she is of great help. She is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So to, for her to say, I will give them as much as they ask for as long as it does not oppose the adorable will of my divine son. She's not saying as long as it, oppose, it doesn't oppose my will. She's always focused on our Lord and all of our will is should be the will of our Lord. So she will always aid us and she will help us out and she will grant us our graces and favors or as she asks for them from her son. Promise number five, I will defend them in their spiritual battles with the infernal enemy and I will protect them at every instant of their lives. Well, isn't that reassuring? Again, like I said, notice that what she says, she says she will defend us in our spiritual battles. She has a keen understanding that there is a battle. She has a keen understanding that there is a fight and Our Lady will fight for us. She's not going to be dainty in the background. She's not afraid to fight for us because she will be at the forefront and she will protect us at every instant of our lives from the devil. These are the things that we have to remember. But what a great promise. All for what? Having a devotion, showing a little meditation on her seven sorrows. Let's look at the last two here in the last few minutes. Number six, I will visibly help them at the moment of their death they will see the face of their mother. What a greater consolation then. We're at the moment of our death. It's it's our last hour and Our Lady comes. What better than to see Our Lady guide us to heaven? And the last one says, I have obtained this grace from my divine son, that those who propagate this devotion to my tears and sorrows will be taken directly from this earthly life to eternal happiness, since all their sins will be forgiven and my son will be their eternal consolation and joy. Boy, that sounds like the kicker to me. I mean, what better than I'm going to be taken straight to heaven if I can propagate this, if I can show devotion to Our Lady, if I can walk with her in her tears because her tears are tears for her son. It's going to guide me right to our Lord. Like we say, to Jesus through Mary, pray your rosary, focus on the seven sorrows, meditate on that during this month of uh, August, which is devoted to the Immaculate Heart. And we're going to have shows, uh, the next show will be on how do we consecrate ourselves to that Immaculate Heart so we can be one in heaven with our Lord through our lady. 
Until next week, keep it Catholic.